Say it loud. I'm black and I'm proud. And I'm Tavis Smiley. I'm delighted to have you tuned in to our program today. In case you've just tuned in and missed a spirited uh, dialogue in our one about all things political, you did not hear me say that we are pleased to welcome some new stations um, who are carrying affiliates across the country carrying the Tavis Smiley Show today or launching later this month. But I'm pleased first to welcome WURD Radio, 900 AM, 96.1 FM in Philadelphia right now. Uh, Philly, I love you. Ain't nothing y'all can do about it. The city of brotherly love and, as we often say, sisterly affection. So delighted and humbled to be heard right now in the city of Philadelphia. WVON, 1690 AM in Chicago, uh, comes online October 2nd, uh, to be exact. And so I'm pleased to know that in just a few days we'll be heard both uh, in the city of brotherly love and in the Windy City. So we welcome WVON, 1690 AM to our fold. And in Mississippi, we uh, we believe radio uh, is a it's a network of radio stations. So there are a number of stations in their network, uh, and so we welcome a bunch of people in Mississippi as well. Uh, and there are other cities, and uh, I don't have time to run through all of them. But I just wanted to mention just a few of those who are uh, uh, on the list now of, uh, of of stations and affiliates who get to hear uh, their audiences get to hear this program every day. And I could not be more humbled. Um, by the expansion, uh, the rapid expansion of our show, just over a month now in syndication. Uh, and uh, the addition of Philadelphia and Chicago means that we are now heard in just about um, four or five weeks of being in syndication, uh, now heard in three of the top five markets. This ain't my first rodeo. I've been in this for a long time. And getting to three of the top five in a matter of weeks is a big deal around here. And so while we are reflective today on this 9-11 anniversary, we are also celebratory today of the expansion of this particular radio program. So welcome to Philly and Chicago and stations in Mississippi and beyond who are now carrying the Tavis Smiley Show. You honor us uh, by your carriage and by your coverage. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In this hour, um, Dr. Lewis Gordon uh, is our guest, and we're going to talk about the relevance of philosophical insights to contemporary challenges uh, outlined in his latest text, Black Existentialism and Decolonizing Knowledge, the writings of Lewis R. Gordon. So we're about to we're about to submerge here and about to go deep. Um, so uh, so brace yourself and put on all the equipment you need to submerge with us. It's going to be a great hour, but it's, but it's going to be a deep hour. Uh, the question essentially is, can philosophical insights genuinely contribute to understanding today's pressing challenges? Or are they simply an unproductive distraction by these uh, brilliant academics from the immediate hardships that everyday people like you and me face? Uh, we will talk in this hour, I think, and hope, about why philosophical introspection on various topics uh, in real time uh, matter and resonate in this present moment. I am pleased to welcome Dr. Lewis Gordon back to this program. Dr. Gordon, how are you today, sir? I'm fine, Travis. And right away, I got to say, which is uh, congratulations from the ancient East African language of Meduneter. Mazel tov, congratulations on the expansion of the program. We we uh, we received that. I, I thank you for that. And only you can do it in a variety of languages. So I thank you. <laughs> <laughs> in, in, in every language, I simply say thank you. Uh, in, in in my in my uh, my my basic English, I just say thank you uh, for those kind for those kind words. Uh, and it's good to know that uh, you have been a regular contributor to this program. So I just. Uh, I am not excited about the fact My that, honor and privilege. No, thank you. My thank honor you. and privilege. I, I appreciate that. No, I'm grateful for those who've contributed to this program uh, as we've worked our way into syndication. I'm just always thrilled uh, knowing that a larger audience will hear not just my voice. That's not the point. I hear the voices of those who have uh, information to share that empowers us. And so I'm delighted that other persons now in this country are hearing, even as we speak, uh, the voice of Dr. Lewis Gordon. And that's a, that's a good thing all the way around. Let me, let me start with a broad question 
uh, about philosophy, and uh, we'll work through uh, this hour and, and, and um, again, submerge and hopefully get some good stuff out of this hour. So you are a philosopher. I know many. Uh, my friend Cornell West, of course, has never actually, which is funny, Dr. West, now running for president on the Green Party label, uh, has never taught philosophy, but he majored in philosophy. He just never taught it. And he and I have had many good lads. Yeah, he has PhD. He has a PhD in philosophy. Exactly. Exactly. I tease him all the time. He, he studied all those years to get a PhD in philosophy from Princeton, no less. And in 40 years of teaching, he literally has never taught it. Now, when you hear him speak, he weaves philosophy in everything he says, of course, but he's never actually taught it. And we get a good laugh about that uh, when I, whenever I raise that subject. But you, of course, do teach this. And let me just ask broadly, uh, and then we'll jump from here. Um, the role that philosophy can play in our politics today. Okay, well, one of the things i got to say right straight off, uh, sorry if you hear some sounds in the background. I'm on a shuttle bus on the way to the airport. But mm-hmm. the, the, the first thing I would want to say is my situation is rather ironic, which is I wasn't actually interested in teaching in philosophy departments, even though I have a Ph.D. in philosophy. But uh, after 10 years of a lot of my writings, and a lot of them were listed in, in philosophy, uh, I became so known in the area mm-hmm. that, that uh, I've taught in philosophy departments and many others. So the way I identify myself is I always say I am also a philosopher mm. because I never take the position that philosophy has any supremacy over many other ways of living and thinking. Got it. I think it's part of something greater than itself. I like I so like that. I, I like that, and I love the humility that comes along with it. Uh, there's a great deal to learn from philosophy, a great deal to take from it. We're going to take a lot from it in this hour, but I love the humility, which does not surprise me given that it came out of the mouth of Lewis Gordon, just the humility about the role that philosophy can play. It is not necessarily greater than any other uh, field of study, but there are a lot of insights that come from studying it, and we're going to get into some of those insights as we move through this hour, talking about the latest book from Dr. Lewis Gordon, Black Existentialism and Decolonizing Knowledge, the writings of Lewis R. Gordon. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. For all the freedom-loving folk, this is Tavis Smiley. I feel like He's rooting for everybody black. Everybody black. black. More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. So, Dr. Lewis Gordon, let's get this party started. When we when we tend to think of philosophy, certainly when I think of philosophy, um, uh, I wrestled with it over the years, and of course learned a great deal from it, uh, and still do. But we think of philosophy, um, I think, oftentimes as something that's so esoteric um, that it's hard to find the practicality in it. Does that make sense? That's, that's the way it's been sold to a lot of people, that it's done a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. And what, so what you said totally makes sense, but that's been a consequence of the colonial uh, attitude towards philosophy that, uh, unfortunately, has been devised to dupe us. Mm-hmm. So let, let, let me get straight into the, to, to how I talk about philosophy. Sure. The first thing is... The first thing is... Uh, Academic philosophy isn't philosophy. Uh, academic philosophy is what academics talk among one another. Okay? Most philosophy is done by everyday people all over the world, and it's been done since our species has been around. And the published stuff in philosophy, if you were to put all of the published work, all the writings ever done on philosophical ideas, they don't even comprise 1% of what humanity has produced philosophically. Mm-hmm. 
So the first thing is we have to understand that there's a distinction between academic philosophy and philosophy. So let me just talk about philosophy. Philosophy, in a nutshell, is the human being's struggle to understand our relationship with reality, right? Mm -hmm. and, and also to deal with the many unfortunate ways we try to avoid it. And the unfortunate ways often take the form of lies. Mm. And, and so a lot of what we try to do when we're, when we're thinking philosophically is to liberate ourselves of the lies we tell ourselves. Mm. And, and among those lies are lies about philosophy. For instance, here's a, here's a big lie that everybody, everybody all over the place has forced on them, which is that philosophy began by some miracle 2,500 years ago in ancient Greece. And that's complete BS. Uh, I, when I teach classes, I, produce, I begin with writings from 4,000 years ago from East African people mm. thinking about questions like, why am I here? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> what are we doing? What are we responsible for? And these are things that really matter. In fact, young children think about this. Adolescents think about this. And, and we know as we go through life, there are times we get up and we ask ourselves, is all this worth it? Mm. And that we could call our philosophical moments. And so philosophy, and historically, philosophy has always dealt with pressing problems of the time, because problems are part of reality. And so if you are developing a relationship with reality, then whatever those problems are, you need to address them. Mm. You said a few things there that I want to give you a chance to unpack, so let me let me start my interrogation. Uh, one, uh, I am always amazed, as I say oftentimes on this program, <clears throat> at the ways in which the dots connect from one hour to the next. And, and oftentimes, most of the times, the person in hours you know, one, two, and three aren't necessarily listening to each other. And yet the dots always seem to connect. So we were literally talking in our first hour today with David Korn. We were talking politics and really talking about the ways in which lying has become normalized in our politics. Uh, we were talking about the fact that today is the 22nd anniversary of the 9-11 attacks uh, in three different places, of course, in, in, at the Pentagon, in that field in Pennsylvania, and, of course, there in New York City. Um, so 22 years ago today, uh, this happened, uh, this this, uh, this terror was visited upon our nation, and George W. Bush stood up thereafter and lied repeatedly and then got us in a war in Iraq. We all know how that ended up. Uh, don't want to repeat the first hour, but we're talking about the ways in which uh, George W. Bush starts to normalize lying in the White House. Fast forward a few years, Donald Trump shows up, and you know, the, Washington, the Washington Post has done a piece um, uh, uh, detailing that there were at least at least 30,000 things, 30,000 lies that Donald Trump told uh, during his four-year tenure. That's a lot of lies in 30 years coming out of the president of the United <laughs> States' mouth. Uh, at least 30,000. Here you come now in this hour talking about lying and how we too often lie to ourselves. Let me come out of the political realm into the personal realm. Why is it that we so often find ourselves lying to ourselves? If you can't be honest with nobody, uh, it ought to be yourself. <laughs> but but why, do we, why do we so often lie to ourselves? Oh, there's so many reasons for this. It, you know, the example you gave of Donald Trump, I mean, I don't think that man is even capable of truth. Yeah. So that's a, that's a whole other, other thing. But most lying comes out of that initial point I made, which is that 
uh, reality is ultimately very scary. And, you know, if, when we really, really think about it, reality was around long before we even popped up, even before our planet popped up. And reality would be, be around long after we're gone. In other words, we have this, unfortunately, um, I kind of call it, it's not really, an, it's an obsession. We're trying to take ourselves too seriously, to, make, to act like ultimately all reality depends on us. Mm-hmm. And, 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 that's, and that's absolute nonsense. Right. It's, yeah, I, I, I don't know what's bringing in some of the feedback, but, but, don't, but don't worry. Um, the, uh, so, so the first thing is, uh, there's this thing called the ego. And one of the biggest problems we've had, and this is something that's celebrated in what's called Western thought, which is, is a very problematic notion, which is this, oh, this constant celebration of the ego. But the problem is if you pump up your ego enough, you begin to lie to yourself that you're God. You mm. think you control everything. But part of being a human being is to understand your fragility, that you don't control everything. And that ultimately, you, if you let go of the ego, you have room for others. And when you have room for others, you also have room for things like evidence. Mm. So, for instance, one of the biggest lies we tell us ourselves is everything's opinion. And that's complete BS. Because ultimately, ultimately, if, you, if it really is about opinion, then you can ignore reality. But the fact of the matter is, evidence knocks on the door. If there's a bus coming in at you, it's a good idea to step out of the way. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it, one of the things that. So one of the things we have to deal with is that is is the problem of filling ourselves up with our egos. Yeah. If we let go of that, there's room for others. But the but, second thing, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry go no, ahead. no, no, no. Please, please, you're on a roll. The second thing is, go ahead. I, I'll hold my question. <laughs> second, th- second thing is what? Oh, the second, the, the second thing is. When we don't take ourselves too seriously, we have room to become not only more ethical, but also more courageous. Mm-hmm. You see, the ultimately lying, most lying, depends on cowardice. Mm. There are some lies that are come out of compassion. For instance, if you know a person is about to die of a deadly illness, why make their last moments horrible? <laughs> mm-hmm. So you don't talk about the illness, but, but it, it is a form of lie, but it's not the same thing. But, but the ecological lies... The effort to protect oneself in a in a wall of falsehoods; mm. those those are the ones that jeopardize us. Yeah. And connected to that, one one last point: you brought up philosophy. I argue in my writings that philosophy is fundamentally public. And in other words, when something is public, it means you're accountable to others than yourself. Yeah. And that accountability always brings with it the question of truth. Yeah. Um, you said a mouthful there, and again, I'm going <clears> to <throat> try to un- unpack as much of this as I can. Um, let me start with this. Um, it-, it occurred to me as you were talking about ego, and I-, I-, I literally sat here still for a second and just I was listening to you and thinking at the same time. I don't know that in my lifetime, and I've got a birthday this week, and I, I don't know that in my lifetime oh, that I've happy- ever— no, thank you, thank you, thank you. I, I'm just, Happy birthday, yeah. No, I appreciate that. I was just uh, making the point that in my lifetime, I don't know that I've ever heard— Anybody make reference to ego as a positive? I've only heard ego discussed, and I've only discussed it uh, in the context of negativity. He has an ego. She got an ego. And it leads me to ask a question I've never asked in my entire life or in my career, uh, what the purpose of ego is and whether or not ego necessarily has to be a bad thing. Uh, Why do we always talk about ego in the negative? Does that make sense? Oh, it makes a lot of sense, but you know, part of that 
Thomas is you're black. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> wow. Didn't see that coming. You know. That's deep. Yeah. No. 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 It's it's really crucial. Yeah. Because you know, the the, the constant celebration and stroking of the ego is actually not historically how humanity was. Mm -hmm. That is something that is intimately connected to the rise of white supremacy. And white if you if, uh, here's white supremacy in a nutshell. Uh, I usually put it this way. Imagine if you have a child and you tell the child that the, the, the child is the most important being that has ever existed, that, that everything that child wants, that child is to get, that at any moment that child doesn't receive it, it's, it's an injustice on the world, mm -hmm. and that everything, every desire, everything must, and that child is superior to everybody else. You know you're going to raise a schmuck. Mm -hmm. And I just described the past several hundred years of white domination. Wow. In fact, Don, I just described Donald Trump, and, and one of the reasons he taps into white supremacy is because at its core, that's what it's about. It's the belief that there are people who are born intrinsically superior to others. And part of whiteness is to fill yourself up with your ego. Now, part of blackness, and there weren't historically always black people, but part of blackness is to constantly have your ego broken down. Mm. And so one, of the, so one of the things that black people, brown people, many people around the world, and also many people in places we call white, but are subordinated there. Well, I, I was talking earlier with a gentleman about Ireland as an example, but there are many other examples. We're talking about, if we're talking about Ukraine today. Mm -hmm. And it's a more complex story, but they're people who get their egos broken down. And what they learn is life goes on without having a big ego. And so there's a way in which, because people who understand that we depend on one another know that the ego get in the way. But if you think about the view that if you are white, you don't need anybody else. Mm -hmm. And that's, and that's absolute falsehood. Because I was afraid this might happen uh, when we heard that he was on uh, making his way to the airport and how that happened. I don't even know. Uh, but we're going to uh, we're going to get this issue fixed in just a second here and continue uh, with Dr. Lewis Gordon. Uh, the conversation is just getting rich, and it's always at that point when it's getting deeper and richer <laughs> that you end up losing a phone line. Uh, this is, of course, live radio, and this is what happens in, in live radio. Uh, and so I think we've got, got him back. Dr. Gordon, you still with us? Yes, I'm with you. Did, so the part of what I say, we lost it? Yes, we did. Okay, so if I summarize what I said was, I had said that part of, of the way you talk about ego comes from an upbringing in which people admit they need one another. Sure. But, but, but there's a lie told to some people that they don't need anybody. Mm -hmm. but, it, but the only person, the only, the only being, if there were one like that, that doesn't need anybody is God. Yes. And, peop and people aren't God. Mm -hmm. so, that, so that's the first thing. But, 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 but in terms of the history of ideas, this, this nonsense goes all the way back to ancient Greece and Rome, which is this idea that there could be a thing that onto itself that's reality and doesn't need anybody else. Yeah. And, but that's just not human being. That's not the way we are. So part of the thing that it's of being from a community of people who are constantly facing being beat down is that you learn, you've got to put your ego to the side and work with people to build up a decent society, a better reality, a better world. Yeah, there are um, two things you said earlier that I want to uh, want to jump to now. And I'm looking at my clock here. We got about two minutes before I have to step aside. and We'll continue when we come forward. But let me just start with this, though. Um, this notion that you raised earlier that as human beings, so many of us wrestle with this this question of why am I here? I want I want to sp spend some time on that 
um, uh, in our conversation. Let me start, though, broadly with this question. Um, what is it about the human condition um, that leads us into leads us down this pathway of trying to wrestle with this question of why I am here? Does that make sense? Uh, totally. In fact, you, you, you went right at the heart of my recent book, which is Black Existentialism and Decolonizing Knowledge. Mm -hmm. And that's the existentialism part. And the, the short answer is we exist. Mm. You see, when, when you exist, the word existence uh, is from the words ex means out and gestera, stand. To exist is to stand out. Mm -hmm. Now, now there, there, there is, if we think about just things being, there's no reason to stand out. They're just there. Right. But, but a human being is properly not a being. A human, we, we technically, we stand out. We're like, who the hell are you? What are mm -hmm. you? Who the hell am I? Mm -hmm. And in fact, the Zulu, the Zulu people, when they pass a person, the, the way they greet one another is sabona. And translated, it means, I see you. Mm -hmm. In other words, you stand out. So part of being a human being is to deal with when you stand out. And in fact, all, all over the world, many myths deal with this. Even Adam and Eve's story is about standing out. Mm. Because the moment they face the question, of eating from that fruit, they face the possibility of standing out and defying God. So part of what being a human being is, is to say, oh my goodness, I'm responsible for my existence. I stand out. What am I going to do with it? Mm. What am I going to do? It's getting rich. It's getting rich. Uh, when we come forward, Dr. Lewis Gordon, we're going to talk more about why am I here? Uh, have you ever asked yourself that question? Why am I here? Have you ever asked yourself, uh, is this all worth it? Is it all worth it? I suspect these are questions that people uh, have running through their head when they are wrestling with whether or not they want to take their own lives. Why am I here? Is it all worth it? And there are other questions um, like uh, how we can live lives that are more ethical, how we can be more courageous. A lot in this book, Black Existentialism and Decolonizing Knowledge, the writings of Lewis R. Gordon. You're listening to Lewis R. Gordon right now on Tavis Smiley. From the Merc Park with love, love this love. is Tavis Smiley. More honesty than you can handle. More empowerment than you can imagine. You're tuned in to Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley and Dr. Lewis Gordon, and uh, when I tell you he's hit a nerve, um, <laughs> our socials are lighting up. Uh, my phone is lighting up. Uh, Dr. Gordon, you have hit a nerve in this conversation, and we're going to come right back to it in a second here after I uh, remind the audience and tell those who may have just tuned in that uh, our guest is Dr. Lewis uh, Gordon. His new book is called Black Existentialism and Decolonizing Knowledge, the writings of Lewis R. Gordon. I know a lot of folk I'm reading right now are headed to get that book even as we speak. Um, we were talking uh, before that break uh, about these fundamental questions uh, that we ask of ourselves. Um, and, uh, of course, Dr. Gordon is a philosopher, and so who better to talk to uh, than him about these kinds of uh, subject matter? Um, but we were, we were wrestling with this question of why am I here? I, I started by asking, what is it about the human condition that forces us routinely to wrestle with that question, why am I here, and is, uh, is it worth it? Is it worth it? And I said moments ago, I suspect that those who uh, are wrestling with suicide and uh, those who, who take their lives, and I've interviewed a number of people in the course of my career uh, who've attempted suicide, and these questions run through their head at that moment. And I suspect whether 
or how one answers that question determines whether or not you you, you take your own life. But these questions of why am I here and, and is it all worth it come from what they, they come from what place in us, Dr. Gordon? Well, before before I answer, there's something I I, 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 I need to say. Sure. Which is which is first I I need to say my condolences to all the people who lost loved ones twenty two years ago uh, today. Yes. And because uh, your loved one is irreplaceable. When you love someone, even if you had a thousand years with them, that's not enough. Mm -hmm. And I would like to add that because I have a good friend, Jeremy Click, who lost his father in, in, who worked in the Twin Towers Mm -hmm. that day. And uh, so for all those people, you have lost the irreplaceable. Nobody could say you could have another, you'll get another father, another friend, another mother, because that person was unique. And so I, I just want to say that to anybody who's listening who lost someone that day. And for those of us who didn't, our humanity is, is, uh, is connected to our ability to understand that loss. Because if we are living a life worth living, we have someone we love. And the very thought of losing that person makes us shudder. Mm. So, so connected now to what you just asked is that, you know, most reality is perfectly fine without love, but ours isn't. Mm. You see, being a human being is not just about uh, our ability to use language, our signs and symbols, our intelligence. Being a human being is also about understanding what it is to value and to be valued. And the fundamental core of our existence is this search for value, which is why we ask, why am I here? Because it's very difficult to understand, for a human being that is, to be here absurdly. And that, can you hear me okay? Yes, I can, I can. Yeah, okay. And so with that, so what brings us into understanding ourselves is the question of our freedom, our ability freely to reach out to another and to receive love and to give love. And so a lot of our lives are about trying to figure out, are we valuable? Not in an egotistical or narcissistic sense. In the, right? I mean, our species is pretty narcissistic, but that, and that's not necessarily bad. Mm-hmm. But narcissistic disorder is when you're narcissistic to the point of there being no room for others. But when there are room, where there's room for others, in fact, to the point where there are people who have so much of a love for others that they've, they've, they've basically denuded themselves of the very notion that there, there is an intrinsic bettering of themselves over others, Mm. that this is crucial. Now, of course, there are people also go through the experience of being devalued, not valued. Mm -hmm. And, and they do struggle with this question of what is the point of existence when you're not valued at all? Mm. And, and there are people who think that they could just value themselves, but that is a, that is a lie because you see, even if you try to value yourself, you have to ask yourself the critical question, which is, what have I done to make myself valuable? Mm. 
Mm. And that's a hard question yes, to yes, ask. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was I was thinking about you were talking uh, about this search for value. This this is getting deep, as we say around here. It's getting good. I was thinking about that search for value as you were talking a moment ago, because as I've always processed it, value is not what you think of yourself. Value is what others think of you. Um, an example I would offer is simply this: If I I'm I, I'm holding a a sharpie uh, in my hand right now. For those who are watching, you see the sharpie. Um, the value of this sharpie is not what I think of it. The value is when I put it on the marketplace, how much somebody will give me for this sharpie, whatever the item is. When you put the out, when you put the item out, you determine the value of the item based upon what others will give you, trade you for that item. That's how I have thought of value um, for the balance of uh, of my career. But when you're talking about human beings and the way we find value, does that analogy work or not work? Does it fit or not fit? Is it right or wrong? Yeah, it it, 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 it it doesn't work because that's a very specific value. That's economic value. Right. Right? However, for instance, suppose that Sharpie you are holding was what your mother or your partner gave you and that right before, say, that person passed away. Mm-hmm. And every time you hold that Sharpie, that connects you to that person. Yes. No amount of money and capture that value. Mm-hmm. That connects to what I was saying when I gave my condolences. Mm-hmm. You see? In fact, one of, one of the horrible things of Euro-modern life is that colonialism and enslavement tried to reduce all life to economic value Yes, and thus to turn people into slaves, into commodities. Mm. And part of our struggle, always as human beings, is to say we're more valuable than that. And, and, and the constellation of values are so many. There's value, there's beauty value, there's love value, there's memory value. There are all kinds of values that are connected. There's also, you know, there's pleasure value, mm-hmm. but there's also joy. And pleasure and joy are not identical. Mm-hmm. Because there, there are things, for instance, there's the value of respect. There's the value that of, of, of trying to make sure that the life is worth living value, decency, complexity. There's a value of freedom. There's so many values. In fact, one of the things that's interesting about us is that part of our humanities, we cannot be reduced to one thing. Mm -hmm. We live in a world that is so rich, multidimensional. But what lies do is to try to make us two-dimensional, binary, one or so thing. Every human being is many things at once and more. And in to our own lives. We think we know who we are, but you know, we tend to learn who we are when we face situations that challenge our understandings of ourselves. Mm. You, you, you're preaching now. Um, I, I've said many times um, that you, you get to know who you really are in those, in those dark moments. Um, I wrote a book about Dr. King about the last year of his life and most Americans seem to know Dr. King in 1963 at the March on Washington. We just celebrated 60 years uh, since that march on August 28th, and people know King at his apex, uh, at his crescendo. Um, but you really don't know Martin until you get to the last year of his life when the cosmos has shifted against him. Everybody is now opposed to Martin. He's disinvited to speak at black churches. Uh, people don't want to be seen in photos with him. He is so toxic in the last year of his life because he's come out against the war in Vietnam and told America, you, America, are the greatest purveyor of violence in the world today and everybody backed away from dr king nobody 
wanted to be around him in the last year of his life. He's persona non grata. He's crying himself to sleep. He's still pushing himself through trying to organize the poor people's campaign. But everybody and everything turns against him in the last year of his life. And that's when you see who Dr. King really is in the last year of his life. And he does not back down. Uh, he said, I'd rather be dead than be afraid. And he continues to move forward, even though everybody has sort of walked away from him. So it's in the dark moments of our lives, as Dr. Gordon said, that we learn who we really are. When we come forward, this notion he's mentioned a few times now, that I want to interrogate a life worth living. What does that mean? What is? How does one define a life that is worth living? It's a strange phrase, and yet we've heard it uh, more than once. We'll interrogate it when we come forward on Tavis Smile. Unapologetically progressive. progressive. Unapologetically black. Black, black. You're tapped into Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley. Smiley. Helping to make you the most knowledgeable person in your circle of friends. This is Tavis Smiley. Watching my time, Dr. Gordon is getting away from me. Let me move through a few other things right quick. One of our listeners says, Tavis, I think we are all here to experience love, whether we admit it or not. If that is true, that we're here to experience love, what say you about those who live lives and never find it? What I, the immediate thing I say to those people is I ultimately for human beings, what we, when we don't have that, we go through what could be called a living death. And those people suffer immensely. And by that, Dr. Uh, Dr. Gordon, your, your, your phone cut out. When you say when we go through life and we don't have that, is that the... Which we, is love. Love. Okay, got it. Okay, go ahead, which, go ahead. Go ahead. Which is love. Right. And, and I, I should add, uh, thank you for what you said about Dr. King. Uh, you, in a, you very concisely uh, addressed uh, his virtues of courage and love mm-hmm. at the end of his life. Mm-hmm. The courage, of course, is that he loved so deeply that he made his own life secondary because of the extent to which he valued the lives of others. And these others were not about a a reduced nationalism of people in the U.S., but the globe. For, For Dr. King, suffering anywhere was an obligation for everybody everywhere to be involved in making the lives of others better. Yeah. And, and, and one of the things that connects to, to what we're talking about was beautifully said, because as you know, Dr. King also read uh, the ideas of thinkers from all over the world, including India, whether they're Vivid, Vivid of Adkam or Tagore or Gandhi and others. But mm-hmm. Tagore had a very insightful uh, um, allegory. Uh, Tagore said the person who plants a tree knowing that he sure they will never be able to eat from the fruit of that tree knows the meaning of life. Mm. Mm. And right? Mm-hmm. Because that's a person who loves so dearly oh, that yeah. people whom that person will never meet, will never know. That person has made a decision that they need that they should have the joy of the fruits of that tree. That true love is a dedication the livability of life for everyone lord 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 that 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 that'll preach as we say uh that's enough to marinate on the rest of the day this whole hour has been rich and we're not quite done yet but that one line uh that one sharing is enough to to again to chew on the, the rest of the day when we come forward in our remaining moments I'm gonna get dr lewis gordon's take on a debate that some of you know i have with my angelo who's like a 
godmother to me. Maya and I had this debate for 27 years until she died. We were debating this question. What is the greatest virtue, love or courage? We had that debate for 27 years. I took love. She took courage. I'll tell you more about it when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. This is getting good. Tavis Smiley Smiley. continues when we come forward. May Fresh Daily in the Mert Park, Los Angeles, California. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Okay, Dr. Gordon, we're going to see how good you really are. I've got four and a half minutes left in this conversation. i got three things we have to cover. Three we got to cover in four and a half minutes. Let's go with this uh, uh, fast round. Um, you heard me say moments ago, and I see people opining on it already on our socials, and my phone's blowing up. Uh, Maya Angelou, uh, my godmother, and I debated this for 27 years. One day when I was a kid, she asked me, Tavis, what is the greatest virtue? Love or courage? I thought it was a trick question, and indeed it was. But I went with love. I don't have time to unpack why. She went with courage. Her her ultimate conclusion was that she chose courage over love because it takes courage to love. That was her rationale. What say you, Dr. Gordon? I agree with her. Wow. Golly. <laughs> <laughs> you aban- I, I thought you were my friend, man. You abandoned me. You abandoned me. <laughs> so let, 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 let me explain. <laughs> Uh, it gives me a chance to give a shout out to my colleague uh, Heather Baddeley. She writes on virtues and vices, right? And to our mutual friend Nancy Snow. And here's the thing: in a lot of my writings, I argue against what I call false dilemmas. Okay, right. And false false dilemmas is when we make we put people in the corner to think there 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 is one versus the other, when in fact there may be both or many. Right. Now now here's the thing: I would uh, I would answer differently than uh, the great Maya Angelou did. Because she, she went through the question of the, 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 the rationality, mm-hmm. the kind of instrumentality of the argument, and I disagree with that. Okay. What, I would, what I would say is something very different, right? Which is that truly loving always, always opens us up to vulnerability. In other words, in other words to, to love is, to, is to, to take the risk to reach out and have the possibility of being harmed. Nope, I get it. I and, get it. And so, and so, so the very fact that one is willing to face, in other words, courage is not about the absence of danger or the or or or, or, or invulnerability. Right. So all these superhero stuff. That's not about courage. Yeah. Courage is about facing our vulnerability for things greater than ourselves. I got it. Let me, and let, so within that, yeah. love can make it. Love really can bring out courage in other words they're not against one another no they're actually part of a continuum my friend thomas says it's the love that is given whether or not it's return it's the love without any self-benefit that's my argument but i i hear your point about love versus courage two things right quick um what's a life worth living you said that a few times today's conversation i got about 90 seconds but what in your mind is a life worth living Okay, well, you know, connected to what I said earlier with Tagore, remember, and that's one of the speakers, I'm sorry, the uh, listeners, right? Mm-hmm. When it's not about self, self-gain, sure. what you're going to get you know, for yourself, what you're building for, for this, this future for people you'll never meet. That's mm-hmm. a more radical kind of love. And as you know, I write on radical love. Well, one of the things that I would say very quickly connected to that is that, you know that point I said about joy? Sure. Where, where that joy and pleasure are not the same. Right. That ultimately, that ultimately the, 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 what makes life worth living 
is going to be connected to meaning. It's mm-hmm. having a meaningful life. Yeah. One could have we could have one could have all kinds of resources. One could have all kinds of things. One could even have a whole lot of social accolades, but find oneself on one's deathbed with all of that being meaningless. Yeah. Um, so part of life is finding out what's meaningful for you to live a livable life. Nope, that I, I receive that. Um, the third thing I'll hold for the next time, Doctor Gordon's on this program. We didn't get to all three of them. I'll tell you what it is, and uh, we'll pick up on this. We, it, every conversation is fine. I'm looking at JD, my producer. Every conversation ends the same way with Lewis Gordon. We always tee up the next conversation, and believe it or not, we actually follow through on this. Today we started where we left off last time, and next time we'll start where we're leaving off right now, and that is how we can live more ethical and more courageous lives. How do we live lives that are more ethical and more courageous? Dr. Gordon, we'll start on that the next time you come on the program. His book, his latest text, is called Black Existentialism and Decolonizing Knowledge, the Writings of Lewis R. Gordon. Dr. Gordon, safe travels. We'll talk soon, my friend. All the best to you. Thank you, Travis, and I'm looking forward to your conversation. Very quickly, I have to give a shout-out to Cheyenne Day and Rosina Mart, who basically, Mart is from South Africa, Day is from India, were the ones who encouraged me. And organized a lot of the chapters and we work together on this book. That's why I love black folk. Always giving shout outs. You're listening to Tavis Smiley.